Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's Word. God that we're able to gather and praise God that we're here together and that we're able to study his word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. For context, I'm going to begin with verse 6. I invite you to stand as we acknowledge this is the word of God. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, as given to the poor, as righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would help us as we take up your word, that you'll cause us to understand, and that you will lead us to the same conclusion, that we might express our thanks to you for your inexpressible gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, some of the most joyful moments of my life have been in shared giving with you as a congregation. There are lots of examples. Let me give you one from the early 2000s. Scott Hand, who's now one of our pastors, had just finished an internship. He just graduated from college. He was still wet behind his ears. And he knew that God was leading him toward the nations. So he had signed up for a one-year service overseas in Asia. But it was through an organization where he had to raise the funds. And it came to the end of the summer. He was within days of leaving, and he had come up short of what he needed in raising the money. So I stood up at the end of the service and said, hey folks, let's do this. Instead of going to lunch, some of you are going to remember this story, instead of going to lunch, why don't we give what we would spend on lunch to help Scott? Not only did we give what he needed, we gave beyond what he needed. And you know how Scott smiles all the time? You should have saw him smile on that day. And the next Sunday, when I was able to share with the congregation the celebration that rang out among us as we were able to send this brother, which ultimately led up led to him and his wife going overseas for many years to serve in in China. We are grateful that we get to see those opportunities. And I trust, as a result of what we study today, that it will continue to lead us forward toward cheerful generosity. So what is that? Cheerful generosity willingly gives while trusting God to sufficiently supply at all times. This is connected to verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
And I didn't grow up in a farmer's home. My dad was a tool and die maker, but I did grow up in a farming community. And some of my close friends were farmers. A farmer, whether they're Christian or not, a farmer, most of them understand this, they've entered into God's work. Because a farmer can work himself to death, but it's ultimately up to the Lord to make his crops grow. If it doesn't rain, if it doesn't receive the right kind of weather and things, then he has no crops. They're very dependent people in the work that they take up every day. And that's why Paul uses this agricultural word picture. Like if you tried to use investing in the stock market on this, it wouldn't work. Because the stock market is up to human ingenuity. Farming is up to God. Yes, we're a part of the work, and we're a part of the work in giving, but ultimately is up to the Lord. So we thought last week that generosity recognizes the gracious source of giving and the responsibility to bountifully give. Now here's the question you're coming to between verses 6 and 7. Well, what does bountiful sowing look like? Or let me just be very practical. How much should I give? Well, the answer is cheerful generosity willingly gives. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I've heard people say this. I probably said it in ignorance at some point in my life. That's New Testament giving. Well, I got to break your heart here for a minute. It actually comes from the Old Testament. Paul here is working from Deuteronomy 15.10. So for those of you who are cynical like me, you might want to turn over there so I show you this. Deuteronomy 15.10. The context is the the year of the, the, the Sabbath year. And it has to do with someone who is poor, who wouldn't have the resources to make it through the Sabbath year. And Paul, or excuse me, Moses says to the people of God, you shall give to him freely. This is the poor person. Your hearts shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Now, you can hear the language in Deuteronomy 15 that's used in 2 Corinthians 7. In both, you're dealing with what's going on inside the giver. It's not what the giver actually does. It's what's happening in you. Giving is assumed. It's assumed in both texts that you're going to give. But it's answering the question, how much seed do you sow or how much do you give? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, Paul's not encouraging here that we're to be casual or impulsive in our giving. We give based off of a decision, an inward resolve that results in a decisive action that is cheerful in its conclusion. Now, this amount to give, notice, is not a public decision. It's not to be publicly flaunted. It is a matter of private conviction that each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, this should never be construed to mean that we give as little as possible. So if you try to use that verse to say, well, I'm just not going to give a little bit, uh, then you're really missing the intent because verse 6 says we sow bountifully. Now, you give according to what you decided in your heart. Then he tells you how not to do it. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So there's two different motivations going on or two different things that could be happening in your heart. 
that you come to a moment that you know that you ought to give or that, that you want to give, but if you do it, you're sad about it. You're reluctant. There's something holding you back. Now, what is holding you back? I, I think the sadness when it comes to giving reveals really what matters to us. And if you really want to press it deep, it reveals the idols of our hearts. Because we give what we, we put our money to what we care about. So if you're sad about it, you're sad that you're giving this to the things of God because you can't keep it for yourself. There are multiple ways you can keep it to yourself. You can keep it to yourself to spend it on yourself, and you can keep it to yourself to save it and save it and save it. Both of those people are people under control. So he says not to do it reluctantly or out of sadness or under compulsion. If you've been around the church very long, you felt pressure to give. Ugh. Pressure to give works in two ways primarily on people, and I'm sure there's others, but let me just give you two primary ways. If somebody like me, a, a preacher, gets up and seeks to manipulate people to put them under the pressure to give, the people who are motivated by shame those of you who don't want to hurt people's feelings, that you feel guilt over something and guilt motivates you, and when you're guilty, then you do something, then you can motivate people to give that way. There's another thing compulsion or pressure does. I'm going to confess this group. It just makes people mad. It makes me angry when I hear someone do this. It's always bothered me, and it still bothers me today to hear some form of pressure being used. This text has been used as a foundation and to shape how I have sought to lead as a pastor. My prayer is to encourage a culture of generosity. And I've often said this, if you feel pressured or manipulated to give at Parkwood, then fill in the rest of the sentence. Don't give. Now, then I always say this. God's commanded you to give as a Christian. So if you can't joyfully give here, please find somewhere you can. Because it is God's plan and desire for His people to be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now this doesn't mean God's more pleased with people than give those who don't give. There's a very simple meaning to this. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Here's the answer. Because God is a cheerful giver. We are to emulate and imitate Him. Several years ago, through an opportunity to give in a large way through our church, my kids wanted to be a part. They were all little at the time. So we had a yard sale. So we got all the stuff we were hoarding and sold it to you so you could hoard it. You know, that's how yard sales work. And they sold $440 worth of stuff. And I'll never forget how excited they were to come off that first row and to give their offering on Exponential Sunday. They each had $110. It was the mo one of the most exciting days for them. They were more excited than Christmas that day. We ought to have that kind of joy, brothers and sisters. We ought to have a childlike joy that we get to be a part of what God is doing and what God has called us to be. For God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful generosity Trust God to sufficiently supply at all times. So it's not just cheerful. 
So when you're asking this how much to give, you can say, well, I may not have enough tomorrow. No, we don't say that. We trust God to sufficiently supply at all times. God is able, verse 8, to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And there's a beautiful language going on here in the Greek. It's alliteration, which falls apart in the English. But you can see how Paul is just building this sentence. God is able to make all grace abound to you. God graciously and abundantly supplies for his people so that they can give generously. What's the amount or what is the scope? So that having all sufficiency in all things, that you might have enough, that you might have everything that you need. And what Paul's doing here is confronting a Greek and Roman idea. The Greeks and Romans elevated self-sufficiency. Does this sound familiar? We don't live in a self-sufficient culture at all, do we? They elevated self-sufficiency, and Paul here is playing on words. He's, he's playing. This would have got their attention when he used the word sufficiency because Paul's saying that your sufficiency is not from yourself. Your sufficiency, your enough, is from God. God himself will make sure that you have everything that you need. When? What's the time frame? At all times. So whatever comes, God has the ability to provide abundantly. Now, one of the things I am so grateful for, I've said this to you so many times, in the midst of COVID, you continue to be generous. And as we're coming out of it, you're continuing to be generous. And I pray that you would continue to do so, that the work of God that he's called us to, we, we continue. We trust God's supply. But here's what happened. An unattended consequence took place. Because you continue to be generous and our activity was low, we didn't use a lot of that money in that time frame. So two Sunday nights ago, we made a decision as a church that the budget excess at the end of this year, which ought to be over $300,000, we're going to be able to use that to finish paying what we need to for the building. And on top of that, it was still a little bit short. Some individuals have already stepped forward and said they're going to give so that the building's done. Praise God. He provides at all times, in all ways. Why does God do this? Why does God do this? The purpose, that you may abound in every good work. That you may abound in every good work. Now, I want to I confront something. This is a negative illustration, but it gets to the heart of where we are today. Several years ago, back in my youth pastor days, we were doing something with the youth, and someone came up to me out in the lobby. This is one of those moments that I'll never forget and handed me some money toward that, that uh, youth thing and said, I'll give to that, but I'm not helping. Whew. That individual got to a way a lot of you approach giving, possibly, is that you give so you don't have to. You know what I believe? I believe in a society like we are that is affluent, you can argue we're not. I've been other places in the world. We are. That in an affluent society, I think the greatest commodity that a lot of you hold on to is not your money. It's your time. It's you don't want to get your hands dirty. You don't want to get involved in things. When Paul says here that you have sufficiency in all things, that you may abound in every good work, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about every resource God gives you, including your time. Verse 9. 
As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So Paul sets apart self-sufficiency to God's sufficiency that God supplies and God supplies through his people for the sake of others and in this instance, the poor. He's quoting here from Psalm 112 and I don't have time to go over there and reference through it. But I would encourage you to meditate through Psalm 112 of what his covenant people, what his righteous people look like and how they function and how they act. Let's move to the climactic statement here. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what we ought to expect. That what God does everywhere at all times through his people, we should expect the same thing. We shouldn't expect anything different. This principle comes from Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but the water of the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I want you to think about something with me. You've heard people say this statement before. Maybe you said it. You can't outgive God. Now, I want us to think about that sentence for a minute. I think we're trying to get to this principle here, but listen to how we say it. It's very American. We can't outgive God. Like, are you in a competition to see? There's no competition in this text. There's dependence. We are trusting in the supplier. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food who will supply and multiply your seed. So he doesn't just provide the seed. He provides the fruit of the seed, the food to eat, the needs that we have, and he multiplies for further sowing and increases the harvest of our righteousness. That is that his word would go forth. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. That means he'll cause you to abound. This is not just talking about what you need financially. This is spiritually in every way that he will cause his people to abound in every way possible, in everything, to be generous in every way. Now the word generous here could be and probably should be translated simplicity. Now let's think about it and we read it that way. You will be enriched in every way to be simple in every way. Brothers and sisters, we had an opportunity for for several months to go back to simplicity. All of us hated that COVID period where we were bound and held down. And I kept trying to implore you in ways to get to you to say, don't miss this opportunity. I think God's people more than anything in this culture that we need to learn and to move towards simplicity. I don't know what simplicity exactly means for you. All I know is this, Jeff Long, I'm talking to myself. I find myself over and over living too complicated of a life. And when I live a complicated life, I overbook my time and I overspend my money. I'm the only one that does that, right? Simplicity. That I might be simple in every way. Which, when this happens will produce thanksgiving to God. Because here's what will happen. Giving will happen. 
Giving requires a receiver. Both the giver and the receiver, both, will give thanks to God because, here's what we realize, all of us, that God is the ultimate source. So I have two questions this morning as we seek to apply this. First, is our cheerful generosity resulting in thanksgiving to God? For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now use this next illustration with permission. I had a different illustration in the other services. I was stopped in my track, standing right down here just a few minutes ago as one of our widows approached me. And with tears in her eyes, which immediately brought into my eyes, she said, 19 years ago today, my husband took his life. And I was intimately a part of that with her family. But she said, Jeff, while you preached, I was reminded, just like you kept reminding me and over and over, that God would take care of me and my son and he would supply what we needed. My prayer was to be able to provide for my son to finish his education at Gaston Christian and to be able to finish his education. He's now a father with his own children. And here's what she said. At just the right moment, somebody from Parkwood would show up with a new car for me. At just the right moment, somebody would pay for his school. At just the right moment, somebody would bring food. And I am grateful to God. That's what generosity does. It produces in us many thanksgivings to God. Because we realize this, God's not just supplying our needs, that through us, he's supplying for others. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, our generosity is a gospel issue. I didn't use this illustration earlier either, but I don't have time to explain the scenario, but I was somewhere that wasn't church. And I was having a conversation with a man who discovered I was a pastor. And when he discovered I was a pastor at Parkwood, who said this sentence to me, oh, you're the church that helps prostitutes. I said, I don't understand what you mean. This guy was likely a pimp. He said, I just know your church has helped a lot of the prostitutes in town by giving them food and helping their families. I'll take it. Amen? I'll take it. I'll take that accusation. That's the kind of people we ought to be. We ought to be the people who see what we do because ultimately it's a gospel issue. You say, how are you getting this, Jeff? Verse 13, by their approval of their service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes, here's where it's coming from, from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You see, the generosity of God's people, Christians, must be a distinct generosity. We're not indiscriminate givers. We're gospel givers. When we give, we give for the sake of the gospel. We give for the sake of making his name known. We give for the sake of his glory. Now, our individual giving is private. Each one must decide in his heart. But our shared giving becomes a public matter because it has public impact. That doesn't mean we're trying to get praise for it. It just means the impact of that giving is public. Why? Because the gospel is public. Christ came and gave himself publicly. Here lies our motivation and joy. So here's my final question. Are we continually recognizing the greatest act of cheerful generosity? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So thanksgiving belongs to the one true giver alone. This is very interesting. So Paul makes up a word. Because he didn't have a word to explain what he was trying to say. He made up a word, which means there are no words. You can figure that riddle out later. Inexpressible. So if you study the Greek, ancient Greek language, you're going to find this word prior to Paul writing it. You will find other authors picking it up later and using the word. Inexpressible. There there, there are no words. You, You can't fully explain this indescribable gift. What gift is he talking about? He's talking about the joyful gift. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, sometimes giving is painful. It was for Christ. Doesn't make it any less joyful because it was the joy that motivated Christ. He despised the shame and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What Christ did was self-giving, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was yet rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And this self-giving, joyful work of Christ is sufficient. It is completed. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen carefully to these few simple principles. Before we will ever become givers, we must be grateful receivers. And to you, by faith alone, through the grace of God alone, by the work of Christ alone, trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you will never be a giver. Because this giving that Paul's describing here as he comes to this crescendo is the result of receiving. It comes from a gratitude of understanding that we have been given a gift that we did not deserve. That we could never earn. We have been given the gift that is Jesus Christ Himself. He is the cheerful giver. And it is Christ in us that makes us cheerful givers. And until Christ is in us, we will not be cheerful givers. Now here's what amazes me. 
There could be somebody here today who will do this, who will give an offering thinking that you're earning God's favor. I just want you to know that's offensive to God. That you would think you could save yourself. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion. If you take this communion because you think eating the bread and drinking the cup is going to save you, you offend God. You take the bread and the cup to remember what God has done. You take the bread and the cup to say an expression of thanksgiving for what God has done, for what you could not earn, what you did not deserve, that Christ died in your place and that he shed his blood and paid the remission of your sin on the cross. You see, what we're about to do, brothers and sisters, is an act of gratitude an act of humility. Christ, you did what I couldn't do. And it's an act to say, I have received that which you have given. The greatest salvation ever. Now, so that we don't distract each other, we're all going to do it at one time. I want you to take this thing apart. Get your, your bread and your cup separated. There are two parts to this thing. Sorry that that is so distracting to what we do. I'll be glad when we can go back to the quiet way. Now, let's redirect our hearts. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to hear the first words that Paul writes. For I received. I received. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So with thanksgiving, let us receive. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So to yourself and to each other, let us proclaim the death of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this simple act both humbles us and crushes us and at the same time brings us great joy. For it reminds us we cannot save ourselves and that the work of redemption had to be done and Christ, you have accomplished it once and for all. It is finished. 
but you desired we would never forget it. So you gave us this simple act to remind us this is real, that you came and that you shed your blood, that you have paid the remission of our sin. So with humility, Lord, we come before you thanking you for your inexpressible gift and pray, oh God, that you would bring your reflection to bear in all of our lives who call on your name. That we too would be cheerful givers. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone say, Amen.